American Craftsman Podcast is proud to partner with Montana Brand Tools. The West was built by people with strength and great pride in their workmanship. It was a necessity that early settlers of Montana have a strong will, a resilient character, and great determination to tame the rugged landscape while adapting to its dramatic climate. That spirit, made in the USA pride and craftsmanship, is alive today, both in how Montana Brand Tools are manufactured and how they perform. Montana Brand Power Tool accessories are manufactured utilizing proprietary, state-of-the-art CNC machining equipment and the highest quality materials available. Montana Brand Tools are guaranteed for life to be free of defects in material and workmanship because we build these tools with pride and determination. Montana Brand Tools are manufactured by Rocky Mountain Twist, located in Ronan, Montana. Montana Brand's heritage comes from a long line of innovative power tool accessories. Use coupon code American Craftsman for 10% off your order at MontanaBrandTools.com. All right, people. Welcome to episode 45. Wow. The American Craftsman Podcast. You know, it's only uh, seven more and we got a full year. Yeah. That's crazy. I can still remember you saying, oh, we got to do a podcast. And I'm like, well, you mean like 15 minutes, right? <laughs> It's our longest with Manny, three and a half hours or something. Yeah. Had a couple that we had to split into two or lower the quality really far. Um, don't have a printed template this week because it's just been one hell of a day. Um, oh, I didn't get man. the question thing out until late last night. Um, so we don't have a ton of questions. Um, but we got some good ones, it seems. So we're, we're coming coming off the... Off the cuff today. Yeah. Plus, we we were already in Newark. Yeah. And Secaucus this morning. Yeah. And yeah. we did the, sem- the webinar, mm-hmm. whatever we're calling it, the design webinar. Maybe we'll, uh, let's let's do the beer and the tool, and then we can start out. We'll talk about what we did on the Patreon. Or oh, okay, we'll, sure. We'll run down of the day. Um, so, yeah, beer of the week is first. Yeah, bust it open. We just went and picked this up. Thank you. Oh, wait. B-roll. Video. So we have a beer this week from Carton Brewing, which is right up the street in uh, Atlantic Highlands. This is called Larry. Highlander Vice Sour Ale with Salted Cantaloupe. 3.9% 3.9% ABV. IBU is sour. There's no end to what my dad taught me in the kitchen as a child, and every carton beer is seated in a concept I germinated after he planted it. Larry is the most direct translation of one of those memories. Making breakfast for the family one morning, we cut an underripe cantaloupe that was just too flat and boring to satisfy dad. He diced it rather than slicing, squeezed a lemon, and sprinkled some salt. It wasn't the sweet fruit it it had been, but it was zippy and bright, and its firm texture bettered the dish. It was exciting, new, and different to my young perspective. Drink Larry because a thousand-mile journey off, off the beaten craft starts with those first steps. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing his dad's name is Larry. I guess so. I think uh, there's another brewery whose like catchphrase is off the beaten craft. Oh, we're going to see. I am recording, right? I think so. We don't want another uh, 
<laughs> Episode like that one. No, I don't think we got. I don't think we got it in us to do. I think that was <laughs> the the day of the live stream, wasn't it? The last one, where where it went wrong. Yeah, you might be right because it was like a marathon day. Yeah. Very clear. I think this is going to be good. Yeah. Looking forward to this first sip. Hmm. Here we go. Cheers, bro. Cheers. Cheers to all you. Hmm. Wow. I'm not getting a lot of cantaloupe. I feel like I got lemon. I did just eat some cashews. Mm. Maybe a little bit of cantaloupe. It's good, though. Yeah. Uh, we got a first this week. First? Oh, yeah. Cheese of the week. <laughs> you can see that this costs four ninety nine at the shop rate. Um, this is uh, just where we need a snack. Yeah, we've been running on empty. Um, now it says Google over there. You, oh yeah, I have... wanted to uh, off the beaten craft. No, I guess it's their thing. All right, good. Yeah. Stand corrected. Um, what do you what do you got for the cheese of the week? This is Kerrygold Dubliner, one hundred percent natural cheese, aged cheese with a distinctive taste and a natural hint of sweetness, imported from Ireland. I like Kerrygold. Yeah, it's one of my go-tos. I like yeah. the butter. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I'm more familiar with their butter. Stuff is so yellow. Hopefully I don't cut through his plate and cut through my femoral artery. <laughs> that would be a little off script. Yeah. I think this thing's going to have to uh, soften up a little bit. Thank you. But we'll get into the cheese. Yeah. Don't mind our eating. No. Well, we do drink, so... That's true. Mm. Probably a good... Wait, wasn't the live stream one where we ate all the peanuts afterwards? <laughs> yeah. That drove people crazy. Because we're cracking peanuts for like an hour and a half straight. We were um, hungry. Yeah. Tool of the week. Uh, again, a little off the cuff. I had to grab some out of the basement because we're all discombobulated today. So tool of the week this week, Stanley Titan utility knife. This is uh, my favorite favorite utility knife. Not for shop work. This is for site work, um, you know, rough install kind of stuff. So these aren't available in the U.S. anymore. This I had to get imported in from England. Um, but you see, the, the good thing about it is it has this, this locking wheel. So when you put this blade out, 
and you lock this down, the blade won't go back in. Yeah. Like, it's it's next to impossible. Um, other thing is, let me see, I'll get it all the way open. You can hold, like, about 20 spare blades oh, in here. Oh, wow. So you see how wide that is. That's pretty nice. It's like a year's worth of blades. So you kind of got to pay through the nose to get these now. I think this one I paid like 35 bucks. Uh, but it's a good knife. It's solid. It's got this big, you know, flare at the base. And that angle. Yeah, that way. Yeah, the angle's nice. Uh, but this, you know, it's not going to slip out of your hand. Mm -hmm. It's got this big flare. Oh, I like it. So, yeah, this is my second one. The first one, uh, how did I do to it? I think I might have broken this. Broke the button off. Yeah. And I couldn't find a replacement, so. Yeah. I mean, these things take a beating. Really good for, like, carpentry work. You know, when you have to cut shims or something, let's say you're cutting a big stack of shims on a door, and you lock this thing down, you know, because you'll cut shims, and the blade will push back in. Yeah. Or sheetrock. <clears throat> you know, this, there's no way. You get two hands on it. It's big. So, yeah, Stanley. The Stanley Titan. They replaced it with some, like, Fat Max BS that's just it's not the same uh, thing. Biggest. I'll, uh, I'll see if I can get a link down in the description. Might be uh, an eBay-only kind of thing now. Yeah, yeah. I like it. So, yeah, check it out. Stanley Titan. Looks like a shock. Yeah. There's some imitators. The Lutz 357. Tried it. Didn't like it. It's got, like, a pull-turn kind of unlock thing. It's, mm. it's chintzy. Doesn't have this. Um, yeah, I don't know. I've tried a bunch of different ones. I tried like a. Uh, there's another one called the that is called the shark that looks <laughs> a lot like this, but it's kind of more round. But it's like a fixed blade only. Mm. Yeah, which, that's a deal breaker for me. Me too. Ten dash one two two. Check it out. Yeah. It will cut the cheese with it. All right. No. All right. Onward and upward. I guess uh, talk a little bit about what uh, what we did today in terms of Patreon stuff. Yeah, we had a, a requested uh, format of uh, design. Yeah. So something we do for the uh, <clears throat> Patreon is. We'll do a quarterly live stream. So uh, this is only the second one, something we started doing last quarter, four months ago. Um, so the first one we did on pricing. Thank you. So it was all on, you know, how to price a job and how to, you know, correspond with the client, all that good stuff. This one was on design. Um, so one of our patrons, Jerry... He wrote in with a, an idea of what he wanted, sent like a floor plan. Yeah. And we actually, or I should say Rob, <laughs> drew it in SketchUp and we went back and forth with Jerry just like we were with a client, made some revisions and stuff and came away with, a, um, you know, in an hour and a half, a, what could be finished into a, an actual design. Yeah, it was a good collaborative effort. So it was a lot of fun. Um, and what we do is we save it. So now the patrons can go back if they weren't able to, you know, make the live stream. They can go back and watch it. 
Jerry was a good sport and a mm-hmm. lot of help. He gave us feedback along the way. <coughs> and really provide a platform for us to, to do this. Yep. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. We uh, had a hell of a time getting the two computers oh, into one. Yeah. <laughs> Once again, we were reminded that, that we're, our, our medium is wood. <laughs> Not technology. <laughs> so, yeah. Um <clears throat> we go to Best Buy yesterday, and it was like a ghost town in there, wasn't it? And bought a bunch of stuff we didn't even need, apparently. Yeah. Um, we got a capture card and mm-hmm. uh, this monster <laughs> HDMI cable. <laughs> that was $40. I know. <laughs> um, and then we had to try and figure out how to make it work, mm-hmm. which went right down to the wire, didn't it? Yeah, so we use this pro program called OBS to do the podcast. So it basically takes <clears throat> multiple sources, which could vary from a camera, an audio source, uh, a screen capture, a, a media source, um, and several, <clears throat> excuse me, several other things and combines them into one, mm-hmm. sh- one stream or file recording. Like now we're recording before we were streaming. Um, so what we were trying to do is get Rob's, get a screen cap of Rob's computer and get it to my computer so that I could use it as a source on OBS so that people could follow along as Rob is drawing, but also see us on camera. Excuse me. Um, and it was just like not working. It was a lot of trial and error until you finally hit the right video that gave us the right information. Yep. But we were we're driving back from Newark Watching trying to download YouTube something that videos. wasn't going to work. Yeah. Listening to videos all the while trying to glean the the right bit of info. Yeah, so the capture card, we had the right <laughs> idea with the capture card. I don't know what went wrong. So a capture card takes an HDMI signal, turns it into USB. Uh, so that's what we use from the camera. So you can take a, a DSLR or a mirrorless camera and basically turn it into a webcam by plugging it into from mini HDMI to HDMI to the capture card, which goes HDMI to USB. So that's how we get the camera signal to the computer. Rob's laptop has an HDMI out. So we figure, oh, easy, capture card yeah. to the computer. Well, I don't know why it didn't work. Just no. a black a black screen. But we did it. Yeah. Yeah, that it was quite an accomplishment. Yeah, right in the nick of time, too. <laughs> we're only a couple minutes late. Yeah. We're supposed to start at 11.30. I forgot Originally, the mouse. Originally, we were supposed to start at 11. Forgot the mouse. Forgot yeah. all my notes that I made yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> Work best under uh, pressure. <laughs> so we, we totally ad-libbed the whole thing. Yeah, what else is new? <laughs> um meetup August seventh, two thirty PM at Belford Brewing Co. in Belford, New Jersey. Looking forward to that. Yeah, we hope to see you guys there if you're uh in the area. Or if you're not in the area. First thirty six uh people to arrive. Get one of these beer glasses. 
And we'll be doing a giveaway from Montana Brand Tools. That's right. It's nothing crazy, but yeah, but it's a giveaway. It is. Um, so yeah, but one of these glasses that's that's worth the price of admission there. Yeah, admission's free. Oh, well, so it's go. well <laughs> it's well worth it. <laughs> um, yeah, we don't have a template this week, so I'm just no. gonna be reading the questions off my phone. Yeah, you know it's fun though when you finally put a face to a name. Like, now I just met Keith. When he was helping us. Blackthorn Concepts Keith? Yeah. But now I feel like I've known him after I've met him just two or three times shortly. Yep. Like I've known him for so long. It's funny how that works. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was like that with, like, Keith from 2-Bit and John Peters. Mm-hmm. and um, Yeah. You know, when you have this this connection uh, through social media first, it, it uh, makes getting to know someone, like, yeah, you, you become fast friends. Yeah. I know. Yeah, John will be there, I'm sure. Yeah, he's he has uh, something going on later, so he, he won't be... He'll be there, uh, but not for very long, mm-hmm. he said. Cool. Um, so, yeah, we have a post on Instagram, so if you're, if you're coming uh, or know anyone <coughs> who would like to come, you know, you feel free to share the post and yeah. get the word out. They can fit up to 100 people, so, I mean... I don't expect us to have 100, but if we could get 100 people, that'd be awesome. Wow, yeah. Was... This is a cool little brewery, uh, two brothers, good beer. We had we had their beer at my wedding. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, so we're going to be drinking the beer that they're making on the premises. Yeah, yeah. In our glasses. In these American Craftsman glasses. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Well, I guess we better get into these uh, questions here. Yeah, let's see what we got. What do you think about Jack's question? Should that be the um, question of the week? Oh, wait. I don't know. This one from uh, from Parker, our, our uh, patron, is pretty good for question of the week. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll leave it in your capable hands. All right. Let's see. You want to open with Jack's? It's a good, it's yeah. a good one yeah. to get us, get us thinking. Um, so this is from Jack Thornton. He is uh, Jack Thornton ninety eight on Instagram. He's um, in Australia. He's an apprentice. We've uh, we've had a bunch of questions from Jack and talked about his apprenticeship and stuff. Dear Robin Jeff, hope all is well in the United States and in your little pocket of paradise, aka the shop. It is. I have been following along keenly to both the podcast and the Instagram feed. As always, very informative, relatable, and inspiring. Thank you. Um, I've been working on a variety of interesting projects at work and and at home, but have been having some issues with poor communication and organization from quote-unquote management. It stems from uh, the two workers in the office, one being the boss, being too busy to look far ahead and keep us on the shop floor informed about what to do next and what needs to be organized to continue workflow. I feel the need to implement some actual systems or forms Um, to be able to improve communication and allow the workers to look ahead at upcoming jobs and ensure there are sufficient materials, measurements, and the ability to check whether, to check whether all aspects of construction have been carefully considered and planned. What measures could be put into place to improve communication and forward planning? Do you have any experience with sanding schedules, job cards, or even Gantt charts? Any advice would be appreciated. Keep on fighting the good fight. Yours sincerely, Jack Thornton, Sydney, Australia. Nice. Great question. Yeah. We uh, read this on the drive up to uh, 
to we're going to Secaucus. Secaucus. Yeah. So I guess we better backtrack to uh what we did today. <laughs> so I've been working on a prototype for my buddy. Um I don't think I can say too much about it. I've been talking to some some people about it, but um he has a company and making something for him to present to another company. He's got a warehouse up in Secaucus, so I thought I had it done yesterday. Lou called me on the way home. We're chatting. I'm sitting out in my truck, you know, because it, it takes me five minutes to get home. <laughs> so I'm sitting out in the truck, and we're talking, and I go, oh, shit. I said I forgot to make the the X for the thing. So I had to, I went to the shop. We were planning on leaving at 7 to, to deliver this thing because, um, you know, it's about an hour and a half, so hour and a half, two hour drive. It's uh, it was only twenty three miles, or was it? 40 no, it was miles? forty miles. Forty miles. So, so for those not familiar, forty miles takes an hour and a half yeah. around here. Yeah. Um. So yeah, so I had to go in the shop at five <laughs> to get it done. We still didn't leave until like seven twenty for me to get these couple things done. Yeah, and you know, battle with traffic all the way up. Got that delivered. I think we left there about nine. 9.45 maybe. Yeah. Or maybe 9.30. Then we went to Newark because we filled up my truck yesterday with stuff to deliver there that we're going to install tomorrow. I mean, this marathon is not, not ending. No. Um. So we dropped that stuff off, and then we had to we had to fight all the traffic to get back here. Um. So, yeah, I mean, it's just been a crazy day. Yeah, we're just catching our breath now. I set I set my alarm for three forty this morning. Oh god, that's what time I woke up. You'll be going to bed early tonight. Yeah, yeah it'll be a race between you and the boy. It is anyway, <laughs> even on a good day. So, what do you think about Jack's question? I mean, we definitely have experience with uh, poor. Bosses who are bad planners and yeah. uh, have zero for you know forethought, poor management. Foresight. Yeah, I mean one that's one thing that comes to mind right off the bat is that one of the people uh, responsible for all this chaos is the boss. Um, it, it leaves in our experience that leaves very little hope for things to change. Yeah, you know the first thing I said when we read the question in the truck was, and Jack is the apprentice. Yeah. Like, yeah. And he's the one that has to say, you know, we should have some systems in place. Um, and this is a situation that we've been in ourselves where, you know, everybody from the, from the very bottom people, the guy that's there just to sweep the floor mm -hmm. knows that um, it's just a total mess. And not to like sound defeatist, but, like, don't get your hopes up. Yeah. Because yeah. a lot of times when when the boss is like that, there's no changing it. No. And there's no hope in ever changing it. Right. Um, so you don't want to get too too invested in it because it's going to eat you alive if you... That's, that's why it's been perpetuated. The people that have been there for a long enough time, they've already succumbed to it, and their coping mechanism is to just ride the waves. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of how we found it as well. When we worked in a place where there was a lot of chaos and mismanagement, things constantly go wrong and, and they repeatedly 
uh, go wrong in the same way. And you say to yourself, this is really obvious. Why can't we just change this just a little bit and things will be better? But it doesn't. It just doesn't. Yeah. And that's not to say that it can't. Uh, no. You may be in a in a different situation, but you need to keep that in mind before you before you dive into this process of trying to to yeah. implement changes. Um, you know, it's a it's a slippery slope because you know you're down towards the bottom, Jack, as an apprentice, um, and it's it might not be met with a positive response. No. You know? You know, they, they're going to say, who's Jack to, to be saying that, you know, yeah. we're, we're disorganized and, and uh, um, you know, don't know how to run a job. and But frequently it's the fresh eyes that see all these things. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. Well, everything he sees is real. It's just people don't want to hear it. Right. Um, so that's a tough one. Uh, what could we uh, offer... In a in a perfect world, if somebody at the top was receptive to suggestion, what kind of um, suggestions could we offer? Um, I mean, I have limited experience with Gantt charts. <clears throat> I think Gantt charts are very good. It's it's hard when the schedule is changing all the time mm-hmm. because you have this big Gantt chart that all of a sudden it gets scrapped yeah. because because yeah. you made a little change and everything you know it's a domino effect. Um. But I like the idea of something like that where, you know, you have um, a calendar for the job that says start date is this, completion date is this, and filling in everything in between, whether it's ordering material, confirming the design, um, you know, they need to be in finishing by this day, they need to be delivered by this day. I think something like that's good. Um, just just creating a, an atmosphere of communication where you're you know, it, it kind of starts with that. Like, it's clear that no one is communicating. Yeah. So in order to create a system of communication, first you need to just start communicating. Right. So, um, I mean, that sounds kind of weird, but. I wonder if he's, you know, because he mentioned measurements. I wonder if um, the pl- if their plans are being communicated clearly and accurately. Um. It makes me think uh, to the days when I was a catering chef mm-hmm. and we had a really great system at the company uh, and everybody had a specific role and things went off pretty flawlessly. And I I would think that the key to it all was the kitchen manager mm-hmm. because he was the, the guy who communicated from the office to the workers, we'll call them, to all the prep cooks in the in the kitchen. Now, I did prep a little bit, but mostly I worked on site as a chef. Um, and then I took the job of the chef on his two days off. So I had a good overview of what was going on. And the chef would create the menus, which is more or less like creating the, the plans, the drawings. And... He would also then break those down into the prep lists. So if, you know, there was a party for a thousand people and it had, you know, certain entrees, certain, you know, first course, that kind of thing, he would have that all broken down into recipes. And 
All the recipes would then be broken down into the different stages of prep work. And all this was given to the kitchen manager who would then assign all these tasks to individual people. And then those individual people had to sign off on their job. So mm-hmm. if, if the onions weren't diced to the right size, we could trace that back to a specific person. Yeah. Um, and when it was done, it was reported and it was crossed off the list. Now, the place we used to work, <laughs> it was kind of like contrast. that, except they give you the recipe and then you start cooking. <laughs> and then there'd be like a blank area in the recipe where you're like, wait a minute, it says put in the chicken stock, but the, there's no chicken stock on the ingredients. Use water. And then, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, you know, the recipe would, would change mid and you're already cooking. That's right. So you can't cook like that. We're going to beef bourguignon now. Yeah, uh, but I have veal here. <laughs> These are veal cutlets. <laughs> yeah, it systems. That place had a system. Yeah. And you know what? Everybody was happy. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people get the idea that a, a system is constraining in a bad way, but it's freeing. Yeah. Because you know what you're supposed to do, and... You know that everybody is accountable for what they're doing. So mm-hmm. you kind of work with this freedom, you know, and you you know you'll be recognized for doing the right thing and um such and and everything went off really without a hitch in that place. Yeah, it's it is nice as an employee to work somewhere that has good systems. Mm-hmm. Um I haven't been so lucky to, to no. really uh, experience it, but I learned a lot from working at that place. Mm-hmm. Um, when I, we would go out on a job to to prepare for the events, we had these big, long sheets of, um, you know, utensils and tools. Like a checklist. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, what truck you're taking, how many cutting boards, how many, you know, ovens you were going to need the platters you were going to use. It was great. Yeah, I like all that kind of stuff. All the, you know, over-preparation is, is, it's better than under-preparation. Oh, for sure, for sure. Um, And we did the same thing. There might be like past hors d'oeuvres for a dozen people in a small office, or it might be a sit-down dinner literally for a thousand people. Same system. Mm-hmm. And it it worked. Yeah, you know, it, it never hurts to be over-prepared or, you know, but it always hurts to be under-prepared. That's, that's a good way to put it. It's like, you know, we go to install, we, we paint over what we're going to bring, and um, there's nothing worse than not having what you need. Mm-hmm. But if you brought it and you didn't use it, it's it's not a big deal. What's the worst? We pack it and unpack it. Right. That's it. And uh, pretty soon we're going to have plenty of room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess last last week we still hadn't pulled the trigger. No. We were still looking for a van, but we finally we, we put a deposit down on a van. should be here in, I don't know, hopefully a week um, or we're, less. We're excited like little kids. Yeah. So we got a, a 2021 
1500 Mercedes Sprinter. It's still at the factory in Charleston. They're made in the USA, Charleston, South Carolina. Yeah. Um. So we should be getting that. It may be as soon as like Thursday. Yeah, it's... Uh, I, I can't remember the last time I was really looking forward to something as much as this. Yeah, it's going to be nice. We've really... We need nice it. to have it like, yeah. you know, two weeks ago, but we definitely need it. Yeah. Um, and man, buying a van right now is hard. Yeah. We went to two or three places and they, I mean, they were nice enough. They just didn't really seem like they cared <laughs> if we bought anything or not. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, a few places would, didn't even like call us back, uh, right away or at all yeah the one place like the guy talked to him and he was like oh yeah i got i think i got something let me check on it i'll give you a call back i didn't hear from him so the next day i called always with a client uh you know he'll call you back didn't call back so i called again got somebody else i said listen i'm not got i don't have time to wait for this guy i'll talk to you then he called oh doug is actually he's gonna call you back and then didn't hear anything then the guy hey this is carmine i said carmine I bought a car from somebody else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I got time to wait around for you. This is like yeah. two days later. Yeah. So there is a real shortage of vans and a real, real shortage of the Mercedes gas. And yeah, gas. gas there yeah. is, there's a bunch of diesels around, but no, no gas. Yeah. A diesel wouldn't work for us because of our short trips of driving and mm-hmm. things like that. Um, so we needed a gas engine. We wanted the Mercedes. It's really the, we feel the best value yep. and the best uh, vehicle mm-hmm. for us. And there was none to be had. Yeah. And the used market is like insanely inflated. Right. Um, right. Um, everything's got over a hundred thousand miles on it. And you you'd know, be lucky to get one for less than 30,000 used. Right. Right. So they're, they're not really marking them down appropriately. And, we learned that um, I still, it still baffles me why they're all getting turned into refrigerated vans, but there's a high markup on, I guess that's, that's all the info I need. Yeah. And even from other dealers, we heard like just people doing highway drive or city driving, everybody's buying up the gas Mm, Yeah, Um, because you know, diesel is, diesel is a highway, right? You want to drive hundred miles a clip at least with a diesel, you know, and, yeah. and really run it. Um, so I guess in our area, it's all congested. It's probably opposite in some areas of the country where there's yeah. more wide open. I think it just has to do with the function of the, of the van, you know, mm-hmm. like what people are using them for deliveries and within the city and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we got one coming. We got, we're shopping now. We got a, got a nice wrap. Thing, uh, yeah, I'm waiting to. I gotta send that guy a deposit. We gotta get a stereo, yeah. you know, new, not a stereo, uh, you know, a new head yeah. unit put in because it just comes with a stock, just a, it's a just a tiny little screen, yeah. like a L, LCD screen or yeah, whatever. Yeah, I can't read that small thing. No, and yeah, we need to have, you know, CarPlay integrated so we can have our our navigation and all that shit. And the backup, it'll be nice on the big screen. Yep. Yeah, so that, that's some big news. I mean, yeah. that, that's that's a big thing for a little company like ours. Yeah, moving uh, on up. Yeah, to the east side. Mm-hmm. 
We kind of got off uh, tangent there. <laughs> what, what were we we're talking about? Uh, Jack's question. Oh, Jack. Sorry, Jack. Systems. Yeah. Um, what? Oh, I asked about measurements. I'm, uh, I, I don't know if we uh, touched on that. But, yeah, it all starts at the top. Yeah. Really all starts at the top. And you'll find that, for the most part, the the workforce will start taking on the personality of of what's you know delivered to them from the office if they don't care if or if there's a sense that they don't care in the office the people tend to care a little bit less down there on the shop floor mm-hmm. um so it's a bad scene yeah i'd say just uh, open up the lines of communication express you know how you feel and and go from there. You know, you'll you'll uh you'll get a feel whether it's it's gonna be worth your time yeah. to try and figure out something concrete or not. I, I one little uh thing, I don't know if it'll help you. When I was in a position more similar to yours, I would tend to post things more like a question instead of uh putting people on the defensive. You wanna almost make it seem like it's their idea. Uh. <laughs> A little reverse psychology. Yeah. What do you guys think if something like this was to happen? I, I'm not sure, but... <laughs> you remember that idea you had you told me the other day? about <laughs> That was my idea? Yeah, it was your yeah. idea. Uh, well, good luck to you, Jack. Yeah. Sounds like you got a lot on the ball. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, maybe you're outgrowing that position already. Right. What's our next question? Let's see. Um, got one here from Lucas Bodet on Instagram. That's a new name, I think. Yeah. Ever have any accidents in the shop? Thank. I mean, a real accident? Nothing, thank goodness, yeah, no. No, nothing serious. It was at time you shot the nail through your thumb. Yeah. Um, and there we've had enormous splinters. I mean, like mm-hmm. well over an inch long splinters. Oh, yeah. White oak especially. <laughs> yes. Um, but uh, if, you, if you're in the shop, there's always going to be some blood somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. If you look at our hands, and we've been working with that um, – that material for the commercial job, mm-hmm, that stuff, yeah, that stuff will cut you up like yeah. nobody's business. Oh, yeah. Especially you catch a, <clears throat> a corner of edge banding or something. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I mean, there's always bloody knuckles and, you know, you get like, you cut yourself on the square edge of a board. Mm-hmm. Um, but nothing serious. I mean. We got good safety protocols and there's. Yeah. Um, I've had like a rough kickback or two in my day, but. Nothing, luckily nothing crazy. Yeah. We, we, we work pretty steady and, and at a, um, you know, not harried pace, mm-hmm. which helps. Yeah. We tend to recognize when, uh, we're starting to maybe fatigue or, or something of that nature. So we try and avoid those situations where you might get hurt. Yeah, I mean, I'm more likely to, like, drop, like, a clamp on my foot or something. (laughs) 
I mean, that kind of stuff happens all the time. I walk into something. Yeah, catch your ankle knuckle on a freaking... Hit my head on the corner of the machine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we have the saw stop, which... But knock on wood. Yes. Yeah, which I ran and bypassed, like, all day yesterday. Cutting aluminum. Yeah, I'm like, hmm, like, this can cut me now. But, uh, yeah, for those that didn't know that, the saw stop can run in a bypass mode. Right, so you could cut... Oh, excuse me. Lou, I'm yawning. Um, yeah, the saw stop can cut conductive material. Um, you just run it in bypass mode. Yeah. Yeah, we had to cut a bunch of aluminum for that mm-hmm. uh, prototype. Yeah, I was even cutting it again this morning. Yeah, when you rip aluminum, like quarter-inch thick aluminum, <laughs> I was bleeding, like, all over the place. My hands and my arms were all cut up from the little pieces coming off of the blade. Yeah, little shards. Yeah, I mean, they were... Sticking in me like little needles. Uh huh. Um, and I was mid rip of like a, I forget how long that was. Was it twenty four yeah. inches or, yeah. or maybe more? Um, long rip. So there was no turning back. No way. Let's see. Who we got next. This one's from Who the Ninety on Instagram. What do you do with wood scraps? I feel guilty not using them, but it accumulates quickly. Yeah, well, short answer is we give them away or burn them. Yeah, use them for jigs, a little crap around the shop. Yeah. You know, we always, we need to make something and hardwood is suitable. We'll go digging around in the the scrap bin that's in the shop. You know, we keep like one, uh, they're not even, it's not even a 55. It's like probably a 35, 35 gallon, you know, Rubbermaid garbage can. Um, we have three. One is plywood scraps, one is garbage, and one is uh, hardwood scraps. And we'll go rummage around in there. Yeah, and when it fills up, we put it outside. Yeah, typically it, we've been getting rid of it before. Yeah. It, we cover it up, and uh, we have a guy that'll come and take it away. when. Yeah, several now. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, um, and uh, over at the Woodworkers, uh, what are they called, Woodworker Supply or... Um, What's the place we got our, our planer? What's it called? Woodcraft. Woodcraft. That he said, you know, you guys, uh, we sell those things. You want to get them over to us? <laughs> you mean to tell me we could drive these scraps all the way to Downingtown, Pennsylvania, yeah. two hours away? If it was nearby, we'd definitely just dump them off. Yeah, they sell them as pen blanks and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's so right. The stuff builds up before you know it. Yeah. Just especially at the start of a job, because those those chunks off the ends of the boards, oh, and yeah. then um, you know creating the parts. Oh, forget it. Yeah, that that's more good firewood stuff. Those big pieces. Yeah, you know you might get a foot long piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like a like a two by two by sixteen inches long. That's like perfect burning. That's perfect yeah. fire pit wood for me. Yeah. Yeah, fits, and we have a um, what do you call those stoves that we have? It's not, um, you know, oh, it's an insert. That's what it's called, a fireplace oh, yeah. insert. So it's like a it's like a cast iron stove that goes into the fireplace opening, because uh, the house is so old, the the chimney wasn't drafting, so. The easiest way to fix that was to line the chimney with a stainless steel flue. Yep. And then we put this cast iron insert. So it looks 
you know, sort of like a fireplace with a cast iron face on it. And it, you know, reduced the size of the firebox, but that size is perfect. Those things. Yeah, you don't need a big. You're not heating, like literally heating your right. whole house with a fireplace. All you need is something nice and small. I'll like fill that. up like one of those uh, Homer buckets. Yep. And that's that's all night long. Yeah, I mean, I've been working on the same wood here for quite a while now. Yeah. We tried to give away some of the oak when we had all that oak from uh, the, confessionals. the confessionals. To a barbecue place. He said, yeah, yeah you can bring it on. <laughs> Come pick it up, you dickhead. <laughs> we had a trailer full of oak scraps. Hard, white, hard oak. Hard, <laughs> white, hard. I've only had one beer. <laughs> Not even. <laughs> white, quarter song, white, white oak. oak. Yeah. Yeah, like, you know, scraps from a thousand board feet, mm-hmm. which was probably a hundred board feet of scraps. Yeah, yeah. It was a lot. It was a lot of wood. And yeah, bring them on down. Oh, uh, we said. Oh, no. sure. How about I pay you to take it too? Yeah. Well, well, needless to say, we didn't bring them. No. What we got next? Got one from our buddy Justin, Justin De Palma on Instagram. Why does alcohol on a cut only hurt sometimes? Is that true? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> We need to consult some medical professionals. So Justin did the move yesterday, the the pocket hole bit into the web of the hand. Oh. Yeah. The old square drive puncture wound. Yeah. Yeah, that doesn't feel good. <laughs> no. I uh, forget, was it a finger? Remember that time you had to bring me yeah. like a, a first aid kit? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, That, that, that was, was on Phillips. That- yeah, yeah, that was on a bad one. Yeah. yeah. We were uh, doing it. I was doing an install in a commercial, like a, what was it, like a financial advisor building or something. And, you know, of course, the, the boss didn't have any. It's all steel studs. Yeah. No proper fasteners. No. So I'm putting regular. No you know, self-tappers. Number eight by two and a half wood screws into the things. And you got to lean into them like a mother. To get him to get in, get through, you know, and bite, um, and yeah, it took a, 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 I use those Philo number two Phillips, and they're they're pretty sharp. Yeah, and I took it in the finger, and you know, I could see all the meat in there. Oh. That that hurt. Yeah, that was that was a long time in healing. It was kind of like like right in the finger, like yeah, yeah, and I, I think maybe that's a scar there. Yeah, I um, I was leaving that day to go to my cousin's wedding in Baltimore too, so I had to go down there with this like throbbing. <laughs> did hand a, did alcohol help? No, no, <laughs> not at all. You know, what we have in the shop is that that nail polish thing that look it's supposed to like seal up the cut. Yeah, liquid bandage. Yeah, that stings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can like smell the acetone yeah. and that stuff. Um. It always makes me think of when I was a kid. I, I've told you this a hundred times. The iodine mercurochrome debate. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if anybody that's young knows what that stuff is. I, I knew what iodine was, but yeah. not mercurochrome. Mercurochrome was also red like iodine, but it didn't sting. Mm-hmm. 
And I, you know how they came out with that stuff, Bactine and all those other sprays that didn't sting? Bacitracin? Bacitracin, that's yeah, what it yeah. is. Um, well, it must be made out of the same thing Mercurochrome yeah, was. Yeah, water. Yeah. <laughs> but when I would cut myself, which was often as a little kid, my mom would bust out the iodine. And that was back when they thought, well, if it stings, it must be good, you I know? I think it's true, though. Yeah. And I would say, no, no, give me the Mercurochrome. We're like, no, here comes the iodine. Oh, and it'd, it'd be like a branding iron <laughs> getting touched to your, your wound. <laughs> We always uh, hydrogen peroxide. Oh yeah. Which apparently it doesn't. It's not actually good to use. Oh, Neosporin, don't use it. Hydrogen peroxide, don't use it. All that stuff doesn't. It, it doesn't, doesn't work, and it's not good for you. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah. Soap, just soap and water. Yeah, like uh, with a burn and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. They say the best thing is to just run cool water for ten or so minutes to cool down the area. Yeah, but not like cold, cold water. Right. Yeah. Um. You know, those old wives' tales, like, put butter on it and all that. That's that's all wrong. Yeah. Bread it and throw it in a skillet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Justin, I think if it doesn't hurt, that you might have killed all the nerve endings. Yeah. Go to the hospital. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Call 911. Yes. Next up. Next one here is coming in from Anonymous. Anonymous. How come humans have to wipe their asses, but animals don't? Hashtag thoughts from a one-man shop. (laughs) Oh, God. I'm going to question whether they do or not. Have you? I mean, we need to, like, ask, like, Jane Goodall or something like that. Uh, Do monkeys wipe their butts? I think it has to do with uh, the—no, they definitely don't. I'm typing that in. I think it has to do with the, uh, the posture. You know, none of these like animals a, are upright. I think uh, the cheeks are naturally in a in a more of an open position when you're a quad, quad. What do they call it? A quadruped? A biped? Bipedal? No. Well, we're bipedal. Uh, what's the what's four legged? I guess. Yeah, I guess you're right. Do monkeys wipe their butt? All right. This is this is uh, let's see, let's open this up and uh, read it because somebody else He's is asking. Get a virus. <laughs> there are a number of factors in play, including what humans consider adequately clean compared to what other primates do. That's definitely a factor. Yeah. Man, you are right on. A significant difference comes from posture and buttock presence. Man, I'm just like a genius. Oh man, this is where the kid gets it. Even in other species with fairly prominent posteriors, the anus isn't tucked away between mounds of flesh as it is with even skinny humans. This is where we've this is where we've ended up. <laughs> Why would this matter? Oh god. Well, the passing of any but the hardest of stools will leave traces in the human buttock cleft, needing to be cleaned away. For our primate cousins, a similar stool could drop away fairly cleanly, and the anus and surroundings can air dry. So this is the moral of the story. You start walking on all fours, you don't have to wipe your butt anymore. (laughs) Oh, God. 
<laughs> well, uh, anonymous. Well, see what you started. I hope that answers your question. But you, but you know what? You ask a question, you get an answer. That's true. Do you know the capital of uh, Assyria? Assyria. Oh man. I think it was Assur. Yeah. I was thinking of the like the old capital. Nineveh. Nineveh. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Here's a question coming in from Nick Trayer. What is one woodworking skill you think you can approve, approve, improve upon, yeah. and why? Oh man, how much time you got? Yeah, <laughs> it's it's endless. Uh, I tell you one thing that leaps to mind would I'd love to spend a lot more time on the shaper and kind of dissipate some of that fear of that thing spinning those. Thank you, those massive cutters. Because they don't, we don't use it that often, so it's like every time is like the first time almost. Yeah, I had to fire it up yesterday just to flush trim something. And uh, it feels like the risk is so high that you question yourself. Mm -hmm. Like Any operation with a fence Nothing. is fine. Um, but I don't know. That flush trim just sticking out of there by itself. You know, yeah. that thing's five horsepower. Yeah. It's going to grab on. And I mean, maybe it's less likely to grab. I don't know. I think you're right. Um, I mean, it's a long list for me. Design is definitely towards the top. You know, I want to get better at design. Um, you're talking more like tactile woodworking stuff. Um, Um, I don't know. Nothing's jumping out. I mean, we're constantly doing so many new things that like, it's not like we're repeating the same things. I'm like, man, you know, I'm always no. messing up on this. So I wish I could get better at it. We're kind of always pushing ourselves to do something else. So it's kind of, it's kind of all new all the time. And even if it's the same task, the situation is so different that, that it's kind of new anyway. Like the Contoro. Yeah. Another, another new thing. I mean, we didn't even really talk about it. Yeah, we did. We talked about it last week. Did we? Mm-hmm. Can't even that remember. That was the first question. Oh, yeah, that's right. I got it right here. What do you think about the Contour? Well, I used it yesterday. What do you think about the new Contour from Jerry? Hey, Jerry, well, listen to this. I used the Contour yesterday, and without any kind of refresher, like busting open the manual or anything... Had to do like four or five pieces, flawless, mm -hmm. easy to use. I mean, the machine just does the work. It really yeah. does. Yep, worth every penny. I I agree a hundred percent. It was a joy to use and made me feel uh, a little smarter than I really am <laughs> because I got to you know do it without having to break open a book. Yeah. Um, so there you go. I mean, there's so much to learn. I, I don't even know what I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the truth. Um, you know, you have to be in a very comfortable place to, like, just have these 
certain sets of skills and it's like, okay, there's these 10 things, but this number three, I got to get better at number three. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, there's like dozens upon dozens of different things that we do. Um, I mean, just cutting to a line with a handsaw is a skill that I wish I was better at. Mm -hmm. We don't do it enough to really develop that skill to a fine, fine point. Yeah. It's like one of those things that comes up maybe a couple of times per job, but then, you know, it's not like we're hand cutting a whole kitchen full of dovetails. Mm -hmm. um, but that's like a super basic fundamental skill that, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's that, that act has been replaced so much with machinery, you know, and that we don't do it too much. Yeah, you get a woodpeckers, you draw some lines. <laughs> One sixteenth apart, yeah. just cut away. And just resaw. <laughs> resaw the whole board. <laughs> I'm going to have to have to take out a second mortgage on the house or something. Two. <laughs> yeah. Second and a third. Won't be paying too many bills. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, I have to pay for those woodpeckers. We're going to need a cabinet in the van just of woodpeckers. Oh, God. Here's one from uh, Brian, Great Point Woodworks on Instagram. Who builds your new house, Tom Silva or Mike Holmes? Money's no object. This uh, is an uh, yeah, easy question. Yeah. Uh, um, Tom Silva for me, uh, I don't want to say it, but I don't even like that other guy. Me neither. <laughs> He's like totally fugazi. <laughs> I don't like his attitude either. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Clean looking ass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. Tom Silva all the way. Yeah. <laughs> I I mean I've I haven't even really watched any Mike Holmes kind of thing. He's too TV personality for me. Yeah. Tom Silva's a real guy. Yeah. And Tom Silva's social media is pure gold. Um his daughter, I guess, is in like advertising mm -hmm. and she she does a lot of the stuff with him and she's curated this real like like his stuff is it's hilarious. Oh man. Um yeah. Plus, you know, he'd probably bring Norm with him. Yeah. But I would you know what I would say? Keep uh keep yeah, uh, keep Ken can't keep <laughs> I knew I knew you were gonna say the same thing. What's his name? Kevin O'Connor. Kevin O'Connor is Kevin not allowed on the job yeah. site. He seems okay, but I mean you could bring Steve Thomas. I want the who is who's the landscaping guy? Oh, what's his name? Roger. Roger, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he wasn't doing so hot. No, nah, no, he was hurting there for a while. Cuz they now they have a another person, I think. Yeah, I think, I think it's a young younger woman. Yeah, I think so. I haven't seen the show too much lately. I've talked to Kevin on social media before. He seems like a nice guy, but Yeah. But he could keep the tool belt hung up. Yeah. He can come hang out, but he can keep the tool belt if he brings food. Yeah. <laughs> Bring the beer. Don't show up empty handed, Kevin. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> We've descended now. We got one uh, here from Sam McClure's Design Build. Or, sorry, McClure Design Build, not McClure's. Uh, where do you see the future of boutique woodworking shops? Will they diminish in AI's path? So I have a feeling this is sort of uh, being tied into the most recent, um, um, uh, what is that, Modern Craftsman podcast, um, where they had this guy, what the hell's his name, Tony Wang, Anthony Wang. I Personally, I don't I don't listen to it. 
Um, it's nothing against those guys. I just, I, I don't have time to listen to podcasts, yeah. so I don't. Um, and apparently it went totally off the rails. I've been seeing all kinds of stuff on social media about it. And uh, I guess this guy was talking a lot about, you know, AI and it's how it's going to affect the industry. Um, so I don't know. What do you think? Boutique woodwork and AI. Now, AI is just going to be like CNC stuff? No, AI, artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. So, like. I mean, what is it? What can artificial intelligence do that we do outside operating machinery like a CNC or well, something? Well, artificial intelligence, it could do technically anything, I guess. So you're thinking that, I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, isn't half of what we do based on the fact that a human does it? Otherwise, it could just be factory built stuff anyway. Yeah, I don't know. That's the way I look at it. Like AI is just another way of doing factory built stuff where a big machine is doing things and people are just moving the material around. Or maybe not even that. Yeah. Um, I, I don't see it having it. I would say that it, it, uh, it might m create more of a focus on what we do. Mm-hmm. You know, if uh, if it really got to a point where, um, you know, what we did was even more unique. Right. Because less people are doing it. Yeah. Um, less people are doing it. And AI has taken over even a larger swath of of high production. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe uh, I'm not as uh, well read on what AI is is uh capable of in terms of like woodworking but yeah i'm kind of on the same page where people who want something handmade want it to be handmade like by a human just because uh uh you know a, a robot could make this table doesn't mean that someone how am i like wording this just because a robot can make this table doesn't mean that someone who wanted a person to make it would buy the one made by the mm -hmm. robot. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, well, let's let's look at this table as an example. Now we know that the somehow these boards could be milled up by machines, and we know that a computer could pick out the boards that match mm -hmm. by scanning them, and then a a machine could glue it up together, and then a machine could cut it all out. Sand it, put finish on <laughs> Sand it. Sand it, yeah. spray it. A machine could do that just as well as we could. Yeah, I mean, the right set of machines. Right. I uh, think, yeah, the point I'm trying to make is uh, it loses that value that people assign to something being made by another human. Right. Um, yeah, not everybody will think that, but... Not everybody thinks that now anyway. Right. That's why I don't think it's going to have that big of an impact. Yeah, I don't think it's really the, the um, you know, what we do, I don't think is in jeopardy. Yeah. I think, yeah, like you said, it might even be more in demand because it'll be more unique and it'll be uh, sort of flying in the face of this new technology. Yeah. Where and, and here's the thing that we do that I don't know if AI will do. Of course, it could do if, I, I mean, I don't understand all of it like you do, but it wouldn't be cost effective. 
we design for the specific space and client. That's what we're all about. You know, we're creating something that uh, AI is just creating that table. They've been, it's been programmed to make that table over and over. Well, theoretically, yeah, AI could do that and faster and better than us. <laughs> Because it's a computer, it's infallible, you know. It's, Is it going to go to the client and, and talk to yeah. them and everything? Yeah, it's artificial intelligence. Yeah. Oh, man. You yeah. know, it could run 100,000 design combinations in two seconds yeah. and come out with the one that has the highest probability of fulfilling all the client needs. And All right. Well... I don't know how cost effective that would be. What that's my that's my last straw. You think that like well, how it's more would, cost effective? You don't have to pay a computer. I know, but how's the computer going to see the space and everything? It's got to go to their home, and the client's going to have to fill out fill, yeah, the phone. So the client's going to have to take pictures. No, I mean if it if it's AI, it could just. Oh. Be in as long as the whatever the device is in the space. All right, I'm gonna say we're still my lifetime away from that. I got about oh no, you're you're yeah. dead wrong about that. But <laughs> yeah. We're talking you're ten years. <laughs> talking fifteen until it's all over. <laughs> Slowly green up people. <laughs> well, we're just gonna hope that. People want furniture built by people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Say there's some uh, some risk, but not much. Yeah. There's probably more risk to bigger companies that do a closer, you know, thing like a Long Branch where they're kind of just replicating factory stuff. Yeah. I uh, got one here from Trinity Tradesman. All right. On your Dutch door, why did you run your styles long during the build? Oh, we wanted that grain match uh, for one. I mean, the specific one. I think he means, you know, we ran the styles long on the top and bottom. Oh, just to, just to give us that one extra opportunity to square things up. If, yeah. If, yeah. you know, it came out of the clamps uh, out of square. Yeah, that's basically it. You know, if it's an eighth out of square and you have to taper the... The bottom rail, a 16th. Nobody's ever going to see that. Right. Luckily, everything was cool. Yeah. But we, uh, you know, that was one of those jobs, too. You were talking about how everything was so pressure-packed to be exactly right. We were trying to leave every opportunity for yeah. a correction that Just we like, could. Oh, leave a little escape rope over here. <laughs> one over here. And... Perhaps if we had, you know, done two, three, four, or half a dozen of those, we would have been more self-assured. Mm -hmm. But that was basically it. Yeah, I mean, it's always good measure, I think, to leave yourself any out possible. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, why cut it? Why try and cut the styles exact now if you can just cut them later? Doesn't yeah. get you any further to cut them now. Right. We had the tooling to do it easily enough. Yeah. Um, so we took that into consideration too. Mm -hmm. We said if this is the uh, you know out of square or even if it is square, we can just zip it off at the bottom with the the track saw. Yep. Yeah, we had to put bevels on the door anyway. Obviously, yeah. the bottom doesn't get a bevel, but 
head to bevel the top and the sides. Um, so you don't want to, what are we going to bevel the styles and the rail and try and mm -hmm. glue it up and get it all perfectly flush? No, you know, you're going to leave it a little bit long and you're going to trim it at a bevel. The sides you can't bevel before you clamp it up because then you're trying to clamp things together that are beveled and you're going to, um, you could put clamp, you know, beveled calls on there and stuff. But then again, you're, you're working backwards. So it's just easier to leave them. Yeah. It seemed to be big. the best solution for us mm -hmm. given our circumstances and everything else. And that's definitely a time tested technique. I mean, they've been building doors that way for yeah. thousands of years. Yeah. Or, well, you know, thousand years. Hundred. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Couple of weeks. Yeah. No. <laughs> no, you're right. We actually invented that technique. <laughs> <laughs> People have been doing it for a long time. What you do, you leave them long, and then you take, you know, 36-inch woodpecker T-square. Oh. And you put it across the door. And that's you mark where a 16th, yeah. And then you could just bring those 16ths all the way down to the bottom of the door. And then if you add them all up, you know how long the door is. How did we do that without a woodpecker? <laughs> this is some guesswork. Yeah. Um. So that's why we just, you know... We were just being cautious, but yeah. it's also, it is a proven method. Yeah. I mean, some people build cabinet doors like that. Yeah. Uh, let me see. I keep forgetting that the questions are on my phone. We did have one here about that secret prototype that I can't, uh, I can't read. Oh. Because it is uh, clandestine. Got one here from a patron, Wales Woodworking. Just got my first real dust collector, and I'm getting ready to set it up. What is your preferred material for ductwork? Is there anything you would change to the setup you have now? Ah. Definitely some changes we'd make. Yeah, yeah. Our ductwork, although it's it's not terrible, it's kind of grown with the addition of tools and machinery throughout almost 20 years' time. Yeah. So you can imagine it's a bit like an expanding city where all the roads are not in the best place. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I guess he wants to talk about the difference between PVC and metal. Yeah, spiral and regular hard pipe. Yeah. Um, we, we toyed heavily with the idea of redoing the entire um, duct system of the dust collector. And when you start reading about it, it's a real science. It is. A um, couple things that we learned, like, you know, we have an eight to six reducer, like, right at the dust collector. Horrible. <laughs> Bad. Horrible. Bad for the, Yeah. For the, the uh, um, efficiency of the system. So you want to run the biggest pipe possible for the longest amount of time possible on your system. You want to minimize the turns. You want to minimize flex pipe. You want to have 45 degree or greater angles on, on any type of turn. Mm -hmm. Like you don't want 90 degree turns, horrible for dust collection. Um, you don't want to use reducers. You want to use tapered reducers if you can. Um, you know, the spiral duct is really nice. It's really expensive. That's the big thing. It's uh, For a small system like ours, we don't really need it. We don't have the power to suck those things in really to collapse yeah, them yeah um so for the most part we have like sheet metal duct yeah just regular hard pipe that you would you know any hvac place yeah have. um and just in the slab there's a there's a run of a pvc mm -hmm. down there 
Yeah, to me, PVC is seems heavy. It is heavy. And, and generates static. That's that's the thing that people are worried about, the static electricity. So they Ground talk about the, grounding it. Yeah. I um, mean, just think about how heavy uh Deadwood was. <laughs> oh, the the soaking tubes? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, those were what? Eight inch? Those were eight. eight those PVC? were Yeah. Those were eight inch and about eight feet tall. Mm-hmm. They were heavy. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, man, what the hell was the name of that website? There was a guy. There's a one guy who's done, like, all these studies on dust collection. Um, it's like Bob or Bill. I think with Bill Pence. Pence, yeah, yeah, something like that. Bill Pence. Uh, so look him up and do some reading. I mean, that's my biggest suggestion. We're not, by far, we're no experts. Um but that's where we got a lot of that. Yeah, from. yeah. We just took the filter off our thing, and that just, and it's rocking now. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely inefficient. <laughs> it's leaky as all hell, but it gets the job done. <laughs> and also, it's time consuming to do all this. Yeah. You, you know, we're trying to run the business too. Yeah, yeah. Where it's not like, like we, we could, were just going to pay somebody to come in and redo all the ductwork. Yeah, because we can't shut down for a week or anything like that. No. Um. Yeah. Is there anything else? Any other tidbits of information? Oh, I don't think so. You know what was an interesting bit? Uh, again, he could probably get this online, but the way the, instead of doing the drops right at the machine, like how to, how they had, they oh, recommended yeah, that's what I was saying, like feet. 45 degree. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of information online, but check out the drops mm-hmm. um, and, you know, it's it's not just as simple as hooking things up. No, yeah. You know, with the right diameter at the There's exit of the machine. There's formulas in terms mm-hmm. of how many openings and lengths and all. Yeah. It's it's serious. Don't just don't uh, call Oneida and try and get them to design a thing for you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> they did us a little dirty. <laughs> yeah. Got uh, another question here from a patron from Matt Haygood. Late to this, but. Uh, this is from, from last week. Uh, I'm building a dresser with five drawers, and of course many things need to be square in order for there not to be any issues. I feel like no matter how much attention I pay to things, they always come out uh, a little bit out of square. How square is square enough? And if things are slightly out of square at glue-up, what are tips for bringing them back into square? Oh, I mean, for drawers to operate correctly, square is square. There is really... Yeah. Not much room for error there. Mm-hmm. You want the case needs to be square. Um, you know, we've done the old uh, corner thing. Like if you wind up building the case and it's slightly out of square and you haven't put the back in yet, you can, uh, you know, squeeze in opposite corners yep. on the appropriate side to, you know, to. You squeeze in, and that makes the other opposite corners bigger. Uh, should we explain measuring diagonals first? Did I jump ahead? I heard if you got a twenty thousand dollar table saw, you don't have to. <laughs> you don't have to ever check the square. <laughs> twenty thousand when it was new twenty five years ago. Mind you, with a, you know, with a rectangle or a square, if you measure diagonally and they're equal, it's square. That's a myth. <laughs> myth. <laughs> Mythbusters. 
The only way to check for squares with Woodpecker's new 48-inch T-square <laughs> available at your local Woodcraft. So, so just, just, just in the case, uh, you know, it's not a myth. Um, <laughs> but it is. You, you use, you know, a clamp or a series of clamps to, you know, pull in the corners that need to be pulled in. And then you, when the sides are even, then you can put the back on and screw the back in place yep. to hold it square. Yeah, or like uh, a, a drawer box, even if it's like glued up and dry, you might be able to crank, oh, yeah, crank yeah. it back into square. I've done that um, with drawer boxes. Put it on the floor and give it a little... Yeah, oh. yeah. Um, so how square is square enough? I'd say if if everything is operating properly, then that's that's it's plenty square. square. Enough, yeah. Um, you know, with like inset drawers and stuff, it's going to get harder to to hide those things. You got overlay, frameless. Then yeah. it's easy easy to deal with. But uh, with frame inset, you know, it's going to show the error yeah. more. Don't compound the errors. You know what I mean? Really, don't look at it and go, oh, I'll fix that with the next step. Oh, I'll fix that when I get to this part. Mm -hmm. That just makes things unfixable yeah. at a certain point. You know, do your best. Try and figure out where it is, you know, things went awry. That's that's my best advice, you know. Instead of saying, I've tried hard and it's still not square, see if you could backtrack to the point where things aren't square. Yeah. And, you know... Slightly off square. I mean, nothing is ever perfectly yeah, square. Yeah, yeah. Nobody's ever built something perfectly square. It's mathematically impossible, <laughs> I, I would say. Um, because perfectly square, we're talking about zero deviation. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if your your level of deviation is is small enough that it doesn't impact the overall thing, then then that's square enough. True. You know, he, we, he might be a real perfectionist looking at it like... You know, a sliding a paper underneath the the framing square where he's checking. Mm -hmm. That's that's really close. So let us know, Matt. If uh, if you have a specific instance, we can maybe uh, offer some more specific advice. Got one here from one of our three count them three Woo! female patrons. I feel special. Yeah. We were the rush of uh, podcasts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For those those who don't understand the reference, Rush, the hard rock band. <laughs> Progressive rock band. Yeah. They didn't have it. There was a point where they had no female fans. Yeah. They'd sell out coliseums, but there wasn't a female no in sight. <laughs> Which is a shame. Rush is a good band. Yeah. This is from Kim Erickson. Just one girl in a shed about to purchase first real bandsaw. Nice. But don't want to purchase a second, looking at either a 14-inch or a 16-inch, same brand. While there is a price difference, the bigger is achievable. But what, uh, but what would be, if any, the pros and cons going with the bigger bandsaw? Is bigger always better? Hmm. We have a 17-inch in the shop. And it's too small. It is. <laughs> um... Yeah, bigger is better. Yeah, with a bandsaw, definitely. Yeah, because the bigger one could do everything that the littler one is. Littler a word? Mm, probably Little, not. Smaller. The smaller one can do the littler of the two. Yeah, 
But the true is not, it's not true when we reverse. The the little one can't do everything that the big one can do. Right. Um, you know, typically with a bigger band, a larger wheeled bandsaw, you get a, a higher um, resaw capacity. It's not true with all, mm-hmm. you know, there, there may be a 14-inch bandsaw that has a bigger resaw capacity than uh, another 16-inch, but typically you have a, a higher resaw. And the biggest thing is the... The distance from the blade to the, what do you call that? The, the that, that upright position. Y- yeah. yeah, I think they call it, isn't that the throat? Is I guess that the, the throat, throat throat width. Yeah. yeah. Um, like you get into like a 20 inch or a 36 inch bandsaw, you have a lot of space between the blade and that upright portion. So you can get in there yeah. and cut things that are wide, cut curves into big pieces nice of wood. circles. Yeah. Um, you know, we're limited to... It's got to be, what, 14 inches, I think? I think so. 14 inches from blade. Well, yeah, because it's 17, and then there's some space between the mm-hmm. blade. Yeah, so it's about 14 inches from the blade. Um, so if you need to cut something that's wide, sometimes you have to flip it over. Then you got to remark it because you got more, you know, so it can yeah. get complicated. Um, they make three-wheeled bandsaws, too, that have, it's even yeah. bigger. But, yeah, bandsaw... Especially in the smaller range, mm-hmm. bigger is better. Yeah. You know, the the 16 to the 14, I totally recommend the 16. Got to get yourself a 36-inch Tanowitz. <laughs> if you got the floor space. Then you're set. <laughs> she and might a forklift. <laughs> another shed. Yeah, that's true. Didn't Kim uh, write us something um, to tell us that, because uh, we were wondering if Kim was... Uh, Male or female? Didn't she say she's uh full? She's a real carpenter and everything like that. And she gave us a little background on what she's doing. Oh, that was Kirsten. She's the newest, the newest oh, patron. Okay. She, yeah, the other day sent over. That's a, pretty cool. Yeah. So Kim's a woodworker. Kirsten's a woodworker. Huh? That's great. Yeah. And uh, Mary Beth. Yeah, Mary Beth's a scientist. She's punching below her weight class over here. Yeah, she is. These dumb wood guys. I know. <laughs> I'm a pharmaceutical engineer. <laughs> oh, man. So, Kim, definitely. Yeah. I'd say go with the 16. You won't be And sorry. even, you know, if you're not locked in on these two, consider going, you know, as big as you can. 17, 18, 20, whatever. Yeah, I agree. Maybe look for something used that's a little bit bigger. Um, Depends on what you're doing also. Um, Let's see. We're coming to... This is our last question. Then we got question of the week. Okay. This is from another patron, Colin. Question for you. No one mentions their air compressor as being more important than a... And a saw stop. Build a story around that. I'm sure the dust blower could be a great tool of the week. When you run out of beer, maybe vino. This is more of a statement rather than a, yeah. rather than a question. That's a great question. <laughs> you know, the, the compressor is an unsung hero of the show. It shop. is. Little Blue. Yeah. Little Blue even has his own name. Yeah. And Little, little, little Blue went down once. Yeah, but it was just that. that it was just fused, a switch. Uh, that, yeah. yeah, that uh, overload switch. Yep. Which is hidden in like a terrible spot. Makita Max 700. Great compressor. 
Yeah, we keep our compressor in the room with the cyclone dust collector, so yep. it's it's not in the the shop proper. It's outside, yeah. pretty much. You know? Um, yeah, it's enclosed out of the weather, but it's in the it's in the temperature changes. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't have to b- hear it kicking on and off the way. No, and that one's quiet, so you, yeah. you don't hear it any like you don't hear it at all, really. Right. Um, little red. I mean, my God, the Porter Cable. <laughs> That's you hear why that it thing was outside in the shop, and, the, yeah. and it's in a different room completely. Yeah. That's how it got out there to begin with. Yeah. Man. Yeah, the compressor is the unsung hero because when it's working, it's one of those tools. When it's working, you don't pay any mind to it, but you curse at it if. It, for some reason. Yeah, imagine not having that blowgun at the end of the day to yeah. just blow the dust off yourself or blow I know. it out of whatever you're working on. I know. Um, yeah, so that's a good one, Colin. Yeah. Colin's building a kiln. Wow. I think a, uh, it's not a solar kiln. It's like an actual kiln. That's not, pretty cool. Not huge, but yeah. yeah. You know, he's harvesting trees for some heavy hitters out there in Australia. That's amazing. So did we cover all the bases on that question? Yeah, let's uh yeah, I think so. <laughs> and when we run we're not gonna run out of beer, that's for sure. Yeah. Tools, we might run out of tools of the week. Yeah. We're gonna have to start buying stuff. Sorry, wives. <laughs> um, let me see. Where'd that one come in? Email, I think. So yeah. this week's question of the week comes from our patron Parker, Parker Haynes. Um, so this we will cover on the Patreon portion of the podcast. How do you think your work as a craftsman affects how you live your life? What is the relationship between the work you do with your hands, which is only possible after years and years of practice and hard work and the habits you have in other areas of your life? Aristotle wrote that virtue is cultivated through habit and discipline, which ultimately forms our character as human beings. How do you think your work in the crafts has affected your character as a person? In case you're interested, in case you're interested, this is one of my favorite theologians, and I thought you might like it. He sent a link. Uh, would love to join the in-person hangout coming up, but alas, I'm a little too far away. I love that question. That's great. Yeah, that goes to the core of really our business model, really. Yeah. So thank you, Parker. Thank you for that question. Yeah. That's really good. Um, yeah, we'll cover that on the Patreon. We have to uh, talk about the beer. Oh, yeah. You know, as it warmed up a little bit, I got more cantaloupe, but not not a whole lot. Mostly that sort of funky sour. Yeah, it was definitely sour, but not in a bad way. No, I mean, I like, I'm a big fan of sour beers. I liked it. Um wasn't my favorite of the 44 weeks, 45, mm-hmm. but it was uh, very drinkable. Um, and even within this kind of category, I thought it it was, you know, had its own, its own flavor, its own distinctive flavor. Yeah, I liked it. Good for Carton. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Carton's beers, to me, tend to be sort of uh, very similar a lot of times, and I like this one. Yeah, it was different cool. than than some of the others. I've had they have other sour beers that are kind of similar. Yeah, to that, I feel like if um, I could pick that one out, like in a blind test with other similar beers, it mm-hmm. had a little bit more of a um, 
identifiable flavor. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing. But. <laughs> so not bad. Yeah. Three thumbs up. Three thumbs up for Larry. Well, we got to thank our gold tier patrons. We got uh, Jerry Greenan, Manny Siriani, Dustin Fair, Adam Pothast, David Shoemaker, and Colin Lai. Yeah. Did I get them all? I think so. One, two, three, four. Did I say Manny? David Murphy. David Murphy, you missed. Yeah. That was pretty good for memory. Yeah. I need a break. Yeah, man. We've been sitting down here since uh, about 11 a.m. It's now three. Oh, my God. And we got another hour to go. Well, troopers. I know. Thank you, guys. We'll see you next week, episode 46. Don't forget, meet up August 7th, 2.30 p.m. There will be a link in the description.